0: This episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast is brought to you by you, our dedicated listeners and supporters. Thanks to your continued listening, sharing, and donations, we've been able to continue the show free from third-party advertisers and sponsors. So, thank you. And if you'd like to learn about other ways you can support the show, visit patreon.com slash curiousaboutcannabis.
1: My name is Alice Moon, and I do PR in the cannabis industry.
0: You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today, I am really stoked to be sitting down with Alice Moon, who we were going to get together and talk like right before the coronavirus stuff hit and things got crazy and we're finally catching up now. But um, Alice is a entrepreneur in the space, helps a lot of companies with branding and marketing, as well as has extensive experience with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which uh, we talked about in a very recent episode. So uh, really excited to talk to you. Thanks so much, Alice, for being willing to come on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Me too. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but, uh, we are both from the South. Uh, we're transplants on the West Coast from the South. I'm from Mississippi. I know you're from Louisiana.
1: Yeah, I didn't know you were from the South too. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the first things I wanted to ask you is um, what uh, drew you to the West Coast from Louisiana?
1: I came to the West Coast um, completely unplanned. I came on vacation and then I didn't leave. <laughs> so I was <laughs> planning on doing the route that I took, but um, it... Los Angeles, which is too beautiful. And I didn't want to go. So it's been 10 years now living here.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of similar to me. I took a road trip out here. uh, saw California, saw Oregon. And I was like, you know, I think I kind of want to be stuck here. <laughs> and so I then found a way to get out here. and I've been out here for about eight years now. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Um, and did your interest in cannabis, did that come before or after you made your way to the West Coast?
1: That came after. Um, I wasn't really a cannabis user when I lived in Louisiana. The culture there is more around drinking. So, yeah, oh, yeah, um, Yeah. moving to LA to really dive into cannabis. And um, yeah, after about a year of living here is when I joined the industry.
0: Okay, cool. And what did that um, process look like? Because I've followed um, your story as far as what I've seen publicly. And I know you've you've worked in all sorts of different areas of the industry. And you have a very fascinating kind of entrepreneurial uh, story that I wanted to make sure to share. So how did that transition look like? You moved out here. You decided you wanted to be here. How did you kind of get your your feet wet in the cannabis industry?
1: So I started as a trimmer and then I became yeah. a butt tender. And then I started making bracelets you could smoke out of called secret bracelet bracelets. Yeah, yeah. So that was like the perfect Coachella accessory. Um, And then I started writing edible reviews. I tripled the dispensary's edible sales just by writing reviews and educating our consumers. Um, Because back at that point, people really, there wasn't a lot of information. So people struggled with Mm -hmm. finding out about products. Um, You know, companies couldn't have websites or Instagram accounts. And so there wasn't really a resource for information. And I mean, this was just five years ago that it was so lacking with information. But um, yeah, when I was writing edible reviews, I then launched a tech company called Swallow, which helped Mm -hmm. people find the right edible. For them based on their dietary needs and location. Um, We got a lot of press coverage from that. Um, High Times, Weed Maps, a few other companies have written about um, that, and that was great. Um, But ultimately, tech was not my background. And so I shut the company down after seven months of operation. Um, We were nominated for Dope Magazine Best Tech, and we lost to Weed Maps. And that's when I realized, like, Maps is probably going to kick my butt um, in the future, <laughs> so I needed to just cut my losses. And then I transferred into doing marketing and PR and social media. I had been already doing social media throughout my whole career, um, mm-hmm. just doing it on the side and creating, gaining my own following in the process. Um, and so now I just have my own PR and creative agency.
0: Yeah, and I noticed recently you partnered up with Vanguard Media Um, which is, uh, not like a magazine, uh, really focused on women in the industry and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Vanguard is one of my latest clients and I'm handling all their social media. Um, Vanguard is a cannabis women's lifestyle magazine, and it's just focused on women in the industry and it's all about empowerment and connectivity. So I'm really excited, um, to be working on their social media.
0: Yeah, totally. One thing that has been on my mind, something that I bring up with a lot of guests that I talk about is, um. Stigma around cannabis use, and one thing that I've noticed from uh, talking to a lot of uh, my friends that are in different areas of the industry is that uh, stigma around cannabis is unique um, for women compared to to men. I've found that there there are different. I don't know. uh, Particularly coming from the south, this is kind of where my mind's coming from because we both come from areas that are uh, steeped in prohibition. And the stigma can be a little more intense um, in these places than on the West Coast. Um, But I get really excited when I see things uh, like that, because I know from even just my wife, but, you know, a lot of our friends that um, and particularly moms face a really unique stigma when it comes to cannabis use um, that sometimes men take for granted and don't quite uh, understand or are exposed to.
1: Totally. Yeah. You know, it seems normal for a mom to have a glass of wine, but how dare a mom go smoke a joint? It's definitely, um, there's a stigma around it. And we've tried with Vanguard to highlight a few mothers in cannabis. Um, we recently, on our Instagram stories, featured um, someone who runs cannabisandparenthood.com. Mm. Um, and so trying to highlight the women who are paving the way and doing things like, you know, speaking out about being a mom using cannabis and trying to get rid of that stigma.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well that's really cool. That's great work. I'm glad that uh that you're a part of that and helping that message, you know, really spread. And one of the things that, you know, I really wanted to bring you on the show to talk about is I recently did an interview with Kyle Boyer, which I know that uh you've worked with him a good bit. And one thing I, I wanted to touch on is you've been you've been working on compiling research around a condition called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome for a while now. And I know Kyle's helped you some with that, like with editing, and And um, he was telling me on the podcast that um, you've kind of formed a group to try to start to do more research, um, compile um, patient stories, and, that, and try to create a very sophisticated um, data set around this very misunderstood condition. And so one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is because you're one of the more vocal public-facing Um, advocates that are trying to bring attention to cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. It's something that, it's funny, and you'll probably appreciate this. On my very first episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast, I talked about um, the potential risks of cannabis use, and I talked about cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. And that is uh, apparently my listener's least favorite episode of all time. Uh, (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of... um, There's a lot of resistance to um, one, even acknowledging that this is a real condition um, and two, acknowledging that this is something that is likely caused by cannabis itself and not contaminants or something like that. Um, So in some ways, I've followed some of the Feedback, I guess, is a nice way to put it that you've gotten on social media from people in the industry that um, are not too stoked to hear you talk about cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome and everything. And I've I've experienced a little bit of that myself now and can empathize some. But I kind of want to dive right in. I think most of our listeners are somewhat familiar with what cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome is. Um, but do you mind speaking a little bit to um, you know, you got diagnosed in 2018. What kind of led up to that diagnosis? What were you experiencing? and then what did that whole process look like to come to terms with the fact that, yes, this is something that I'm dealing with that you know is uh, profoundly impacting my life, and we're gonna have to make some changes.
1: So in 2016, I started to just throw up randomly. I would just mm-hmm. get sick and throw up like once or twice and then it'd be okay. And that was happening like once a month and then it progressed mm. from like a few times a month. And then um, fast forward to 2018 and it was becoming close to daily. And yeah. I saw numerous doctors in that process and I was diagnosed with having acid reflux. So I had changed my diet, but I didn't get any better. Um, I cut alcohol out of the picture and I didn't get any better. Um, and ultimately, I saw a GI doctor in 2018 who said that it was the cannabis making me sick, and I didn't want to believe it. But I said, okay, I'll do a three month break. But first, yeah. I'm gonna go have my last hurrah. Um, I was invited to a five course infused dinner. Now, the whole course was only 20 milligrams, so it's not like it was like this like super high amount of THC or anything like that. But it was still edibles and joints um, throughout the evening, and that triggered my first episode of 14, my first serious episode, 14 days of throwing up all day, every day, nonstop. Um, And so during that 14 day period, I saw my doctor again, and we ran a whole bunch of tests to rule out any other possibility of something else going on. And so it became very apparent that it was the cannabis making me sick.
0: Yeah. And looking back on it now, now that you've gone through all of that, and I can only imagine how horrible that period of time was because um I know just from understanding like um I mean there are other hyperemetic conditions and I know that can cause severe weight loss. You know, it can be a life threatening condition. It can be very, very scary. Um and is that did you experience that level of of severity where you had trouble eating, keeping fluids down, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely in my Really scary situation. I had lost a lot of weight. I was down to like 108 pounds, I think, at that, and um, now today I'm 145 pounds. So that just like really shows like the amount of weight I had lost at that time. And I'm five six, so to be that weight was really alarming, and I looked like a skeleton. Um, There was one day when I had passed out in my front yard because I could no longer hug my toilet to throw up and so I was just laying in my front yard throwing up and I passed out and a neighbor came and found me and they were like can I take you get help like you you seem like you need help and I just started crying because there was like nothing that could be done there's no Mm -hmm. information on what help really meant I had already gone to urgent care multiple times and gotten IVs and still was throwing up um I wasted a lot of money on food, getting food delivered, trying to eat, and then just throwing it mm. up, not being able to eat anymore. Um, and that was my first of three episodes. So that was my 14-day one. I also had a four-day one and a 16-day one throughout the course of 2018. Um, and so it's definitely been a scary journey trying to play guinea pig, seeing what cannabinoids yeah. possibly work, what doesn't work, um, if pesticides are involved, etc. cetera. Um, it was very, very scary. And I'm lucky to have survived the whole experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and those, those subsequent periods that you went through, were those times where, um, like symptoms had eased up and you wanted to kind of tiptoe back in or were they times where, can you, can you describe what those experiences were like?
1: Yeah. So after my first episode of it, I quit using cannabis for three months and then mm-hmm. I started using it again. Um, lightly, I was using pesticide-free weed. I wasn't smoking every day, but I was consuming lightly, and that is what caused the four-day episode. Um, and then I started using CBD, hemp-derived mm-hmm. CBD, yeah. and I was able to use that for a few months. But then that triggered the 16-day episode. And with the 16-day episode, I got a whole an ulcer, a hernia, and a bacteria infection in my gut. And ultimately, was in the hospital for four days. So that one was um, very scary. I got down to 106 in that one, um, and so yeah it was awful experience and so when people say that this is caused by pesticides well i can say why did pesticide free weed cause my symptoms to come back and if they say it's only thc well Mm -hmm. then how come CBD triggered an episode in me you know so um it's definitely clear to me that it's cannabinoids causing the issue
0: yeah yeah absolutely and it's i've heard or read um Partially from a lot of the stories that you've collected um, of other people that have reported similar things, where they go through this process of diagnosis and then get better, um, wait a while, and then try to see if there's any sort of relationship with cannabis that they can, you know, develop after that. And unfortunately, I've you know seen the same same sort of story that no matter what they try, no matter whether it's CBD or THC or whatever. Um, you know, whatever's happened in the body is there, and it's gonna, you know, be affected. Um, it's interesting that you said the when you switched to CBD, it took a while before it it triggered those effects. Um, I find that really interesting because there may be people right now going through something like that and have maybe switched to CBD and think that it's not going to be a problem. Maybe they're in that grace period in the beginning um, where things seem fine, and so I think that's a very good warning that just because it seems fine now doesn't mean it will be in a week or two weeks or or whatever
1: yeah and during that time like um when i had that 16 day episode i had actually consumed more cbd than i had been consuming that day i was on my hmm. period, and i consumed 200 milligrams to deal with my cramps and that's another interesting um aspect of this is a lot of women who have chs get the symptoms the worst during their menstrual cycle um so hmm. that correlation that we're seeing with a lot of women is that the symptoms get really bad during that time. Um, and that is when I had my 16-day episode as well. So um yeah. it's we don't really know why that is, but it's just a pattern that we're seeing happen.
0: Yeah, and it makes me think about um a couple of the doctors that I've interviewed. We've talked about how um endocannabinoids change during menstrual cycles and um in in context of like if you're taking hormones for cancer therapy. Um, or if you're a trans person going through transition therapy and you're taking hormones, how that impacts the endocannabinoid system. And it makes me wonder, um, because there are certain periods during a menstrual cycle where your anandamide levels will get boosted, which theoretically would lead to um, more stimulation of CB1 receptors and that sort of thing. Um, so it does make one wonder if, if you know, it has something to do with that, that the endocannabinoid system is already boosting those levels and then um adding something on top of that can maybe uh be a tipping point um to make those symptoms come out. That's fascinating, really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And and looking back now, are there any other symptoms that you recognize even earlier before the vomiting ever started? Um, that you would have never noticed, you know, um without this sort of retrospective hindsight look, but you know, did you feel Uncomfortable or nauseated or anything before any of that vomiting ever started?
1: I was just burping a lot. Mm. Um, a lot of burping, like an abnormal amount. And my sister has IBS and she mm-hmm. also burps a lot. And so we thought maybe like I have something, you know, maybe it's just genetically, like all of a sudden I'm just like got a lot of burping coming out. But yeah. that's the only symptom that I noticed before the vomiting um, was just excessive burping like embarrassingly amount a lot of burping for you know that then that still happened throughout the whole 2 years of me um mm-hmm. throwing up i was like just i had a lot of burping but i didn't have nausea or stomach pains um mm-hmm. i didn't have that and you know chs kind of treats everyone differently some people get abdominal pain that's one of the first symptoms that they experience and thankfully i didn't have that um that symptom
0: yeah Yeah. And, and that sort of segues into what I wanted to ask you next is how does your experience compare? I know you've, um, you're a part of like Facebook support groups for CHS and, you know, a lot of other, um, you know, you you talk to a lot of people that are dealing with the same thing. How, how does your story compare to other people that you've talked to? What are some of those different sorts of presentations that might be, uh, good for folks to know about since it isn't kind of a, uh, one size fits all kind of thing?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people where that have had like very similar experiences to me. And then there's some who've had different experiences where they've maybe only thrown up once or they Mm -hmm. are still smoking and then they throw up. You know, it takes them like six months before they get sick again. Um, But there's a lot of people who have had very similar experiences to me. Um, The one notable difference, I think, is I'm very sensitive to secondhand smoke now. Mm. I get sick from being in a room where people are smoking weed and most people with CHS aren't that sensitive to cannabis um so there are a few people who do get sick from it but i think it's uh, within the community of people with CHS it's a very small percentage that get affected by secondhand smoke
0: yeah and what are your thoughts on the um how how rare or not so rare uh cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome is cuz it's often talked about as a rare condition but as more and more states legalize and more and more people feel comfortable talking to their physicians about their cannabis use, it seems like the number of diagnoses um, is going up a lot. There's there's a lot more reports all the time of this condition. So what's your perspective on that when someone tells you that CHS is a rare condition? Uh, what's, what's kind of your response to that?
1: I don't think it's rare. I think it's just undocumented and just not mm-hmm. well known about, I think a lot more people have it than we realize. Um, and there's just nothing, um, tracking it right now. We don't know how many people in the world have, have CHS. We just know that people all over the world have it. Um, but the amount of right. people we don't know, cause there's no tracking system with it. Um, even, you know, in the United States, i are not keeping track of how many people get diagnosed with it. And, um, another issue is, you know, so there's an un- under but then also the doctors who do know about it can be quick to overdiagnose. And so that's mm. a problem too, where some people are getting misdiagnosed with having CHS and then that kind of aids people disbelieving that it's true if they have mm-hmm. an issue going on. So I think there needs to be like some sort of standardization within the medical community about diagnosis and keeping track of this so we can figure out how many people actually do have it. because if I can be in touch with 4,000 people who have it on a Facebook group, I'm sure this is affecting a lot of people who just haven't found us on Facebook. You know, I think that this isn't just a small, small percent. Um, I think a lot more people have it. And, you know, there's also, since there's different stages of this, people could have this and be in the padromal stage where they just have some nausea and the burping and not the excessive throwing up. And that's probably a lot more common than people even realize.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's, Man, that's a really fascinating sort of double-edged sword that you just mentioned um, with the doctors. You have one uh, sort of set of doctors that maybe are uneducated about cannabis and cannabinoids, and maybe are not very even familiar that CHS is uh, something they should look into. Or, and a lot of doctors, they don't think to ask, like, "Do you use cannabis?" You know, or that's uh, just something that doesn't come up a lot. Um, but then this this overreaction that you mentioned—that's a honestly, something I hadn't thought a whole lot about, um, that some doctors that know about it are perhaps too quick to jump to that diagnosis before exhausting, um, other possibilities. And I know you're, you're working with different groups to try to drive education and everything. Is this a project that's underway of trying to develop a kind of standardized protocol for, to help doctors, um, know what to look for, what questions to ask, what to examine before jumping uh, to conclusions either way?
1: Not in the United States, but um, the Institute for Safe Medicine Practices in Canada, they are developing a standardization for that. And I just worked with them on a brochure that we developed that'll be um, distributed next year to emergency room doctors and physicians throughout the country. So um, right now I've only worked with people in Canada. I would love for that type of thing to come to America as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe once it's launched and American doctors can kind of see that and learn, um, it can spread. Cause that's, um, yeah, I, it's heartbreaking to think about people out there that, um, don't know what's going on with them that are experiencing that and probably feel so lost and confused, especially when, you know, in this industry, it's so common to, you know, really focus on the therapeutic benefits of cannabis and to really not talk about, um, much of any risks. Uh, It's just, it's kind of like a taboo thing in the industry. Like you really don't talk about the things that can go wrong with cannabis. Um, and so I, once again, thinking about, um, like friends of mine back in Mississippi, um, friends that you probably have back in Louisiana and other places that, um, aren't necessarily as like steeped in the culture and the information and everything, um, that, um, are suffering and have no clue what's going on and, you know, potentially could lose their lives if they can't eat and can't, you know, maintain weight and everything. I mean, I think that's one of the underappreciated things of CHS. I think people hear about it and they think, okay, you know, it makes you throw up or whatever. We'll just stop smoking weed. Why are you complaining? You know, that's a, that is a perspective I've run into (laughs) multiple times. Um, and, and my hope is, you know, by sharing, uh, some of these, Uh, the story and and details that people realize this isn't just like a, it's not like if you drink too much alcohol and you throw up and then, you know, you just move on and you're okay. This is a a systemic thing that has to run its course over multiple days, sometimes multiple weeks um, and can be very, very dangerous.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, I've definitely come across the same thing where people are like, oh, just quit smoking weed. You know, your problem solved. And for a lot of people with CHS, it's not that easy to just quit smoking weed. People are using it for, you know, people who used to be addicted to opioids and now Mm -hmm. cannabis, people who are just, you know, have cancer. There's all these different reasons why people use cannabis as a medicine. And so to tell these people, oh, well, just quit using it and then you'll be fine. It's like, no, you're kind of like... um, not really acknowledging the severity of what quitting really means and yeah and then also the symptoms don't just go away immediately it's not like a oh i'm done smoking weed okay i'm better like i mean i'm an example it took 16 days of not using to before i finally got better and so it's not that easy to just quit smoking weed and i hope people realize that
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's um for a lot of people smoking cannabis is not a uh I mean, obviously there's a recreational side to it, but for a lot of people, it's, it's so much more than that. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, Hey, stop taking your ADHD medicine, stop taking your, you know, um, anti-anxiety medicine, you know, it's, it's, it's like saying something like that where it's like, well, that affects my day-to-day quality of life, um, in a pretty profound way. Um, and, um, Staying on this topic of the feedback that you've gotten from the industry, I mean, I've touched on some of the things that I've experienced, but um, were you surprised when you first started talking about CHS um, at the negative feedback that you got from the industry?
1: Yeah, I didn't really expect it to be as harsh as it was, but people (laughs) were very angry. Um, People were coming at me and targeting me and just being very just mean to me Mm -hmm. and I've been in the industry for so many years and have been pro cannabis, and I'm still pro cannabis. And so it felt very confusing to have people be so angry at me when I'm just speaking out about my experience and what is happening. And CHS is real, and I'm not trying to, you know, talk shit or talk negatively on cannabis. You know, um, so I was definitely shocked at the level of anger that this has brought out in people. And you know, I'm just like, you can go and smoke some weed. I can't. So maybe you should go and smoke and chill out. <laughs> you know, that's what people really need to do because the the anger is just really extreme. Like one person said, I deserve to get beaten up because I was talking about it. Um, and it's like, wow, really? Like, you just you think I deserve to get beaten up because I'm talking about how cannabis has some negative side effects. Wow. Wow.
0: Right, yeah, and it's like, in what world do you live in which anything in life is a hundred percent positive? I mean,
1: <laughs> you can have too much water, and that's what I try to remind people of. You can you can have too much water, so why do we think that you can't have too much cannabis? It's ignorant to think that cannabis is without negative side effects, and it's harmful to to promote cannabis as a purely good thing. You know, we have to talk about the negatives with mm-hmm. the positives, and. The negatives don't negate the positives doesn't mean that cannabis is all of a sudden bad just cuz there's negatives, you know? Like I still think cannabis is a great plant, it's just not for me.
0: Right. Yeah, and and maybe some of that sensitivity comes from the massive amounts of misinformation and propaganda over the decades, you know, 100 years, um where a lot of the downsides that we hear about cannabis growing up turn out to not be true and so then maybe there's this knee jerk reaction by people that become you know very pro cannabis that um you know there has to be more to the story and and so another thing i wanted to ask you what are when people push back against you and don't want to accept that it's cannabinoids causing the problem you know we mentioned the pesticide issue are there other things that they um sort of posit that might be the problem besides cannabis what are what are some of the uh the different things that you've run into people say, no, 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 it's not cannabis. It's X, Y, Z.
1: Um, people will say, oh no, it's because you were drinking. And then I remind them that I quit drinking for two years. And so alcohol could not have anything to do with it. People say pesticides. Um, I think, you know, people are like, say my diet, even though they have no clue what my diet is, people blame sure. it on my diet. Um, saying, you know, maybe you don't exercise enough and trying to blame it pretty much on anything else but the cannabis. Um, yeah. I think those are, the reactions i've gotten thus far and then people have also accused me of working for big pharma people say that (laughs) this was a ploy by big pharma to come after cannabis which um and then people say i get paid to talk about this which i'm like you know what i wish i did because i talk about this a lot it'd be really nice if i could get paid for it but no i don't make a dime off talking about this i do it because i want other people to know about it so that way no one will get as sick as i was you know there's not this isn't a money-making syndrome. People are spending money having this syndrome, not making money.
0: Yeah. And there are plenty of people that get paid to talk about the benefits of cannabis. I mean, um, it, it's so interesting um, because I I, hit, I get similar feedback myself because um, I come from Uh, like the natural products world and and am now teaching about cannabis and everything and grew up in mississippi went to the university of mississippi and spent some time at the nida cannabis lab there which is sort of like my early exposure to cannabis science and so when people learn that a lot of times they're like oh you're one of those people you're you know you're one of those you know pharma supporters um working for big government that you know doesn't really isn't really supportive of the industry and i'm like I'm just a guy, like I've just, you know, I've got the experiences I've had. Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing. Like going back to the issue of stigma, it's an it's an interesting stigmatic dynamic um within the industry that if you if you seem like you're um uh talking about cannabis in some negative light, then automatically you're put into this category of uh, the anti-cannabis big pharma lobbyists that uh, want to see it, um, see us go backwards. It's, it's really fascinating. And something I, I hope that through education um, and, you know, you're collecting so much data. I mean, um, I want to promote your website. So you've started a cannabinoid, it's cannabinoid hyperemesis uh, isn't it? Dot com?
1: Uh, yep. .com. Yeah. 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 So I built a whole website with tons of information on CHS. So that way people can really learn if they want to. I, tried to make it as simple as possible, um, user friendly, and there's links to 20 plus research papers on there. So people can go and they can do all the research. I made it very easy for them to learn about it. And then I also include patient stories. um, Mm -hmm. so People can go and read other people's experience with it. And then a link to all the interviews I've done. So that way if people want to read more about my story. They easily can as well.
0: Yeah, and you've been working on a um, review paper as well yourself, haven't you? I know if, I've seen you know through some of your social media stuff, you've been working on it for quite a while to try to compile everything that you've studied into one document.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I surveyed 330 people who have CHS, and so from there I've been writing a research paper. Um, when COVID hit, I kind of put a pause on doing it sure. just stress stress. Um, so I haven't touched it in a few months, but I'm like almost done with it. I just got to get over that last little hump, but trying to compile a lot of information for people, you know, where it, cause this happens to people all over the world. There's research papers from all over the world of people experiencing it. It's not just America. And so trying to compile all that information into one has been, um, a lot of work, uh, and (laughs) I've never written a research paper before in my life. I dropped out of high school. So this is all new to me trying to do it and do it right. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of information with surveying those 330 people. And um, I hope to bring that information to the masses and help educate people. And hopefully people will get more sympathy and empathy to it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the empathy thing, I think, is our biggest struggle on so many levels right now in our society is um, try, trying to actually uh, understand what another person is going through, even if you're not going through it. Um it's taking shape in so many ways right now. Uh, it's kind of coming to a forefront and I hope our ability to, um, better empathize with with our fellow humans, um, improves. Um, now that you've gotten to where you are, collected all this information, you're working on this review paper and trying to finish all of that up. How would you say your perspective around CHS has evolved since your diagnosis to now? Because it's been a couple of years, and I'm sure you've learned a lot, um, and especially collaborating with other people that are trying to study it. Um, how has your perspective kind of um, evolved over time?
1: Um, I don't know if it really has. I, I feel like I just want more research to be done. Um, mm-hmm. I feel a bit of frustration with it. I think yeah. Frustration now than I did before just because of all the feedback I've gotten. Um, and I feel a bit of sadness because I'm reading patient stories all the time and I feel a lot of empathy for their experience and it really truly sucks. And so I think I'm more like emotional about the topic now versus mm-hmm. years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, especially as, I mean, there still aren't very good treatments and and so is that something you can speak to um at, has there been anything that you've been able to find that um does seem to help uh relieve some of those symptoms when uh someone's actually in one of those cycles
1: so hot baths relieve symptoms for mo- majority mm-hmm. of people who have chs um and then capsaicin cream on the stomach it's a cayenne mm-hmm. pepper based cream so it kind of mimics the hot bath that also can help relieve symptoms um, I when I first used capsaicin cream, I wasn't aware of what it really was, and I put mm-hmm. a whole bunch on my stomach, and then my skin was on fire, and it felt like there was a blowtorch to my stomach. And then I used a wet rag to try to scrub it off, and that just made it worse because water just like activates it even more. So I was in a lot of a lot of pain um, with that. Um, and then there's some cases of people um, taking certain medications that work to stop the symptoms, some antipsychotics. Um, is one of them um there's a few other ones some um, benzodiazepines diet oh i can't say it right benzodiazepines something oh like yeah
0: that. benzodiazepines yeah
1: there we go yeah benzodiazepines yeah. um there's cases of that working for people too um but the negative side effects that come along with it are kind of frightening how mm-hmm. like people have gotten a lot of like psychotic breaks um there's leg shaking there's just like feeling a lot of anxiety so A lot of people that I surveyed said they would have rather throw up than taking the medication. So Um, it seems like it's not really a good solution. And then one other thing that some people have found relief doing is running. There's one case hmm. of a patient running for 15 hours and he developed rhabdomyolysis. And, um, so that's some, for some reason, running can help a lot of people, um, stop the symptoms.
0: Yeah. And one thing I I learned from studying the the papers that do exist about CHS is that some of these things become unconscious learned behaviors that people uh, start doing some of these things like exercising or taking hot baths. The hot showers is a one that that's become pretty well known that uh, they don't necessarily know that they're treating symptoms with that. They just know they feel good, they feel better. Um, and so it's something they adopt into their, into their, um, their their lifestyle which is which is fascinating that um that you can develop treatments like that and not even be aware that you're treating something in the first place
1: Um, i was doing that with hot baths i didn't realize that like that's why i was so compulsively taking hot showers but i was taking hot showers for quite some time and when my doctor who originally diagnosed me she asked me do you take a lot of hot showers and like my eyes just lit up because I was like, how does she know that? You know, that was like yeah. such a random question. And then I eventually learned too about how that is something that helps it. But that was definitely a behavior I was doing without even realizing the um, benefits I was getting from it at first. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. And um, for folks that might be listening that might know somebody that's going through this or maybe they're going through it themselves, do you have any recommendations on um how to interact with their doctors given what we've talked about that maybe their doctor doesn't understand cannabis and cannabinoids or chs or or maybe they do and they might you know depending on if if they're in like colorado california oregon or washington or something um they might be quick to jump to conclusions do you have any advice on how someone should talk to their doctor about their experiences and and working through that process to try to ensure that um you know, they, they actually get the the help that they need and don't get, you know, led astray.
1: I think people should push for getting tests done, um, to rule out any other possibility. I know my doctor immediately didn't want to rule to do tests and it took me throwing up for two weeks before they actually decided to do a whole bunch of tests. And that's because it's very expensive to get medical tests done, but I think it's important for people to rule out every other possibility and also to quit consuming cannabis too, Um, and to be honest with their doctors and let them know that they are using cannabis. And if their doctor doesn't know about CHS, then they can direct them to my website where doctors can read a whole bunch of research papers and learn because doctors should know about it. Um, So I think it's important to be honest with your doctor for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing I forgot to ask you at the beginning, uh, what was your frequency of use of cannabis before your symptoms started? And how long had you been using before uh, symptoms started?
1: I was using for six years before I got symptoms. Um, I was a daily, almost daily user. I would smoke like half a joint a day, um, Mm -hmm. around like 15, 20 milligrams a day. but I wouldn't consider myself a heavy user in the grand scheme of things. I wasn't stoned all day long. Um, I was more of like a nighttime and a day user. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't consider myself a heavy user, but some people, you know, 20 milligrams would be considered heavy for them. So I guess it's all just relative.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and looking at research papers, um, the definition of chronic use or heavy cannabis use is different paper to paper to paper. So, um, yeah, that, that term can be a a loaded term. What is a, what is heavy use? But I think, um, a lot of people are probably in a similar position, uh, to what you were in there. You know, a lot of people, um, don't use cannabis, you know, all the time during the day and everything. A lot of people do reserve their use to, you know, a little bit at night, uh, to wind down, go to sleep, whatever. Uh, I found for my own issues I've talked about before on the podcast, some spinal cord injuries and things. And um, generally, like it doesn't matter what time of the day I use cannabis or anything. It's just a matter of within 48 hours, getting some cannabinoids in my body, you know, consistently, um, will help. Um, but that could be classified as heavy use too, you know, depending on, on how you think about it. And certainly over the course of the years. Um, but I know there are some, and correct me if I'm wrong, but some people, Experience chs much earlier you know you used for about six years or so but um isn't it true that some people will experience symptoms um in a short time as like a year or so
1: yeah definitely out of 330 people i surveyed the majority of people got their symptoms after using for eight years but there was a small percentage where it was just for a year or less that they were using and then they started getting symptoms so um this could happen to anybody basically
0: yeah yeah and did you notice any um patterns of like is it affecting um anyone of certain age groups or women over men or anything like that any commonalities or is it just kind of a widespread just
1: you know yeah the only commonality we all had is that we use cannabis um the wow. amount the frequency of use the duration of use um the age it all varies you know the pre-existing mental conditions physical conditions all those things all varied um I was hoping that I would find some commonality between all of us. But the only thing that I found is that we all use cannabis and there's people who smoke flower. There's people who did dabs, edibles, concentrates. Mm-hmm. It's all over the board.
0: Yeah. And I guess, so one question I've gotten before that I didn't know how to answer, um, that would be good to ask you, um, what about cannabis based topicals? Do those also seem to trigger symptoms in people that are already, uh, you know, that have CHS that are sensitive?
1: So we don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, people who have gotten CHS and are really sick um, don't really want to be experiential and try out topicals. I personally, if I get a burn, like if I'm curling my hair and I burn my ear, I will use a small little dab of like a cannabis topical to help with the burn. Mm -hmm. And I haven't gotten any negative symptoms from that, but it's a very, very small amount that I will use like, you know, maybe once every like six months or something like that. yeah. Um, So I'm not sure if, you know, a topical has the ability to, to do that because it should only be transdermal topicals that have the ability to affect us, but we don't really know. There's no telling.
0: Yeah. And there's so many variables to that. Um, You know, terpenes can act as skin penetration enhancers, depending on what they are. There's so many different things. And, and some people just have different uh, thicknesses of skin. Um, And then uh, you have as the older you get, the thinner your skin gets as well. So I'd imagine that increases, uh, vulnerability, um, over time as well. But that's, that was, that was something that I haven't seen much about, uh, cause people always talk about ingesting, but, um, that's, that's really interesting. And to, um, switch the conversation away from CHS a little bit, I want to talk some about, uh, the work that you do in the cannabis industry around branding and marketing and all of that, um, One thing I was curious to pick your brain about, you know, you've been particularly in Los Angeles, um, where the industry has been thriving even well before cannabis legalization. um, What are some things that you're noticing about the things that cannabis brands are getting right in the way that they're. Uh, branding themselves, presenting themselves to the public. And and what are the some of the, the patterns you're noticing about cannabis brands that uh, the things that they're really, really getting wrong um, that you'd like to see corrected?
1: I think cannabis brands that have uh, social equity or some type of give back program, mm-hmm. um, they're doing it right. I think there's a few brands who have been from the launch of their company in their programs, they do some type of give back and they have um, practical hiring practices. Um, I think that's important um, having diversity on the team, you know, doing that and not just doing it now because Black Lives Matter is a movement mm-hmm. and that is coming to the forefront. I think brands that have been doing it, that's very important to have that as your core of diversity, inclusivity, and giving back. I think those things are all very important for a brand because right now, I mean, weed is weed. You know, sure that you can have flour that is a little bit better than this other flour, but ultimately like the brand is what you're supporting when you're buying flour. And so making sure that you buy from a brand that is actually giving back and making an impact that is positive in this world, I think is really important. And then as far as what they're doing wrong, um, I think some brands are spending way too much on marketing and brand Mm. and like doing lavish parties, going and just spending on ridiculous things. Um, you know, I, I want people to spend money on marketing, but I also want it to be done in a way that won't make a company go broke. And I think a lot of companies have overspent on their marketing and ways that weren't actually beneficial to the company. Um, and then another thing I'm seeing that I dislike is what we call like, booth babes bikini babes it's when Mm. companies use half naked women to sell their brand and i just think that's a little degrading and um i I don't think that you need to uh sell sex to be able to sell your product i think your product should be able to sell itself without having a woman in a bikini selling it so um that's something that i think uh needs to get go away in this industry
0: yeah yeah i totally agree with everything that you just said i i think the um The social equity piece is particularly important in the cannabis industry, given um, how many people have had their lives ruined over cannabis prohibition um, and the fact that, you know, like cannabis arrests, that they're disproportionately affecting uh, people of color. That people that are getting arrested for cannabis, getting felonies on their records, that um, they're getting pulled out of the system, so to speak. Uh, A lot of them, you know, depending on the situation, can't vote, can't get student, you know, student loans, uh, financial aid, can't get small business loans to start a company once you know they're out of jail. So that's just like one limited aspect, Um, and it's something that over the course of the past half a dozen or so interviews that I've done recently, I've tried to really bring attention to, I talked to Andrew D'Angelo about uh, the last prisoner project and uh, the work that they're doing. And I, I totally agree that cannabis companies, if they're not thinking about social equity, they're missing a huge uh, piece of the puzzle of the role that they play in the cannabis industry, given the history and, and where things are going. Um, It's, 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 um, it's critically important for people to hear. And, and like you said, it's not just a, it's not a trendy thing. Like this is, this is about, (laughs) this is about ensuring true social equity, trying to ensure that people are brought to the table and are, are able to participate in the industry that voices are elevated, um, that have been suppressed for so very long. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear you, um, to know that your mind, that that's where your mind is in terms of, of cannabis marketing and everything. Because I that's what I hope to see from a lot more brands and and not just pay at lip service. Because I'm sure, you know, there's some brands that talk about social equity, talk about giving back, talk about environmentalism, whatever, um, you know, and, and put it all over their websites, build it into their brand, but they're not really doing anything or they're funneling money into... Groups they've started for their friends, you know, that has a nice name that looks like some interesting, you know, nonprofit or something, but it's really just like you uh, touched on just to have parties with people you already know, supporting people you already know, and not actually trying to really give back uh, um, to the people that have been most disenfranchised.
1: Yeah, and I want to take a moment to shout out one of my clients called Goodie Kind or uh, Good Kind. Cool. Sorry, I always say Goody, but because there's a unit, Good Kind. Um, they are a hemp company, and they donate an eighth of their profits to um, organizations that help people get clean water in America. And oh, nice. from the start, they have been—that's been part of their program. They say hemp for humankind, and they are committed to donating a portion of their profits every year to um, organizations that help in some way or another. And um, it's a minority-owned company, so um just want to give a shout-out to Kind because I think that they are uh, doing it right, where they started from the beginning of wanting to give back and understand that it's important to give back.
0: Yeah, and and that mission, particularly about clean water, I think is is probably one that a lot of people don't think about, but uh, once again, going back to to where we're from, states that are along the Mississippi River— um, this is a huge issue. I remember <laughs> there are pictures of me as a baby in bathtubs in Mississippi where the water is completely brown. Um, and sometimes I show those pictures to people to help them understand just how uh, just how bad some of the environmental issues are around communities that live near the Mississippi River, uh, which the Mississippi River has been trashed for decades. And yeah, we have the Clean Water Act and stuff and things got a little better, but the damage has been done. And not to mention that you have um, a lot of um, industry built along the Mississippi River. That, even though technically they're not—they're ne- not polluting the Mississippi River in the same way that they were back in the '60s. Um, there's still a lot of downstream consequences and we often think about access to clean water as something that affects like third world countries, but like, no, it is happening in the United States all the time in communities that I'm from, you know, communities that you're probably connected to as well and others. Um, but that's, that's where it strikes home for me. I, I just always think about that picture of myself as a baby in brown bathwater, And it's, it's sometimes people really take it for granted, especially in the West coast where, uh, well, LA is a little different cause you're kind of in a desert, but where I live in Oregon, we literally get our water uh, from the runoff of a mountain. You know, it, like it, it, it almost couldn't be cleaner. Uh, and so I think some people are a little spoiled in that way. <laughs> they don't even think about that as as an issue.
1: Totally. Yeah. I um, in New Orleans, there's many a times we had to boil our water mm-hmm. um, out of the faucet. So I definitely am aware of that too. Of like, clean water isn't as accessible as we all think it is. There's a lot of people in this country who don't have access to clean water. So I'm glad good kind is like making an impact and you know they just launched and they are also committed to hire to getting all of their hemp from minorities as well and so mm. they're having trouble sourcing it all right now but they hope to by 2021 have all their um all their hemp come from black or minority owned companies
0: nice well that's very cool yeah um well to uh start to wrap this conversation together one question I really like to ask a lot of people I talk to is in general um what do you hope to see from the development of the cannabis industry let's say looking five years into the future what are you excited about what are you possibly concerned about and what are you kind of hopeful for
1: um I am excited about all the brands coming onto the, market. the different products that you can have, like how oh, there's cannabis infused wine now. I think that's yeah. cool. There's like breath strips, there's mints. Um, I'm excited about the creativity. Um, I'm hopeful that taxes are gonna get lowered and that cannabis mm-hmm. is gonna become more accessible to people. I believe in safe access. And so hopefully you know, everyone in the country in the next few years has access to cannabis, even though it probably isn't likely. Um, and I hope to see more inclusivity in the industry, um, more women in positions of power. Mm-hmm. And um, more, more uh, minorities and black owned companies, because right now we're really lacking on that. And also, I want to see people getting out of prison for um, cannabis offenses. I think that it's a shame that people right now can smoke weed while there's people in jail for selling weed. I just think that it's really unfair. So I hope in the next five years, all these issues are addressed and we have a better industry than we do now.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's, um, one of the things that's really big on my mind is as these states change their laws, they decriminalize, they legalize, a lot of times that conversation is absent about what do you do about people that, um, have been put into prison for long jail sentences, have their whole lives ruined, um, and they're still sitting there while people are profiting and and making businesses, um, Doing the exact same thing at scale, um, it's it's really bizarre, and I can only imagine how that affects someone's psychology. You know, of, of sitting in prison, knowing you know knowing this is all happening, and um, and and on the uh, the women in um, positions of leadership in companies. One thing I'll point out to people: there's there have been several studies that show that. Um, across the board, women very often outperform men in terms of company leadership, and that when companies um, bring women onto boards, uh, there's almost always a um, a net benefit. I remember there was, there was a really good talk I saw by, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to forget their name now, one of the several billionaires out there in the world, but <laughs> they talked about that that was uh, something that people really needed to Uh, That particularly men really needed to take seriously that you know you know actually diversifying your boards like um, it's it's something we can you know talk about from a a social equity standpoint and all this but also just from a efficiency and productivity standpoint um, those measures almost every time they are studied improve when you get women involved in leadership. Um, so anyone listening, um, if your board is full of men, uh, you should really reconsider cause you're probably shooting yourself in the foot. Um, yeah. So, uh, and what about your, uh, potential concerns about the, uh, the growth and development of the cannabis industry? Do you have any, any concerns that, um, that you're kind of nursing and keeping an eye on as, as things progress?
1: Lack of research is yeah. of my biggest concerns, the lack of research, um, and the you know um ignorance about side effects of cannabis i think those are my biggest concerns right now um you know i'm personally affected by that um yeah, yeah I think that's where my concerns lie
0: yeah yeah definitely and and going back to that that empathy piece and anyone listening like if you're bullying people on social media because they're sharing their their negative experiences with cannabis then should probably take a, a long, hard look at why that triggers you in the first place and, and why you spend extra energy going after threatening people um, over something that if it doesn't affect you, then it doesn't affect you. And why do you care? Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, um, And the way I, I usually like to finish off these episodes, I'll basically hand the platform over to you, um, let folks know how to learn more about you, how to follow you. Um, any companies that you want to shout out, as well as uh, your websites, all of that, I'll give you um, time to plug anything and everything you'd like to.
1: Cool. So, if people want to learn more about me, they can visit my website, alicemoon.la, and they can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is the Alice Moon. That's T H E, Alice Moon. And um, yeah, my email is alicemoon at alicemoon.la.
0: Nice. Awesome. Very easy to remember. Well, cool. Well, anyone listening, if you're, um, you know, one thing I want to say is if you think you're struggling with CHS or you've been diagnosed and you're looking for support, um, look for that Facebook group. Uh, What's the name of that Facebook group?
1: So mine is called Cannabinoid Hyperemesis Syndrome News and Resources, but there's also one called Recovery from Cannabinoid Hyperemesis Syndrome, and that one is like a major support group. So mine is just for news articles and research papers, and the other one is for like getting a lot of support.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So anyone listening, um, check out those resources um, if that calls to you. Um, and also your cannabinoid-hypermesis.com uh, website for more information as well. Uh, check all of that out. Uh, keep an eye on Alice. You're, you're always doing so many uh, different things. It's been cool. I mean, I've only been following you for like the past eight months or a year or so, but um, it's been fascinating to see all of the companies you work with and and the, uh, the voices that you're trying to elevate. So keep up the great work. I look forward to seeing what you do in the future.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for taking the time. And those of you listening, if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, you can find us at cacpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And we also have a channel on YouTube. So check us out. And thanks for tuning in. Uh, take it easy and stay curious. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. To support the show and get access to an exclusive members-only podcast feed, access to private events, merchandise discounts, and more, visit www.patreon.com slash Curious About Cannabis. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is produced by Natural Learning Enterprises, a mission-driven education company dedicated to promoting critical thinking skills and public scientific literacy about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is only one of several learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises, To learn more, visit www.naturaledu.com.